welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. If I were to ask you what your legacy is, what would you say? I mean, what does that word legacy even mean? If we looked up the dictionary definition of that word, it would probably say something along the lines of a monetary gift or estate that is left in someone's will. But these days, the word legacy is thrown around a lot and it's taking on an even more dynamic meaning. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually start to change the definition because nowadays, a legacy isn't used so much to talk about physical things that we leave for people, but actually more about an intangible thing. You know, the memory of someone, what we might say about them at their funeral after they've died. We might talk about them leaving, you know, a legacy of love or of kindness or of generosity or, I mean, we wouldn't mention this at their funeral, but some people might leave a legacy that's not so nice. A legacy of being grumpy or stingy or strict. Legacy really is what a person gave to others while they were alive that echoes long after they're gone. And I think it's something most of us think about quite a bit, if not daily. I mean, we think about questions like, what is my purpose? Why am I here? What will I leave behind when I'm gone? What will I be remembered for? These are all things that we think about. I remember when I was in grade 10, I actually went around one day to most of my classmates, you know, the ones I liked, and I asked them, would you come to my funeral if I died? And it's kind of morbid, right? But really what I was asking them is, does my life have meaning? Will there be a piece of me left behind when I'm gone that people will want to honor and remember? I wanted to know if I was important. And if we look, we can see that the desire for legacy is all around us. People build monuments to themselves, statues, buildings, businesses. Some people want fame or success or fortune. They want to make a name for themselves. And maybe those things in particular aren't attractive to you. You're, you know, like me, you kind of like the simple life. Fame's too complicated. But at the same time, there is this desire within us to, at the very least, pass something on to those we love when we're gone. So whether you want to build something for ourselves or you're saving up money to pass something down to your kids or maybe a combination of both, legacy drives us all, even if in different ways. As followers of Jesus, we are called to build a very unique type of legacy. We're called to build something that's less about the physical world and more about the spiritual. Less about building a name for ourselves and more about building a name for God. And what God has called the church to build is a community. It's a group of people, a community that worships him, honors him, follows him, trusts him, and shares him with the world. We are called to build a legacy of people who faithfully trust in God. Friends, the greatest thing that we could leave our kids is not money in the bank. It's not even a good education or a diverse experience of sports or arts or traveling. The community of God and the faith that it possesses is our legacy. Faith is the greatest thing that we can pass down to our kids. And the next generation, the ones who are called to pass this down to, it's not just parents or grandparents or even youth leaders who are meant to pass this down to them. It's all of us. All of God's people are called to this. 
But it only takes a minute for us to turn on the news or read a headline or watch Twitter or not watch Twitter, read Twitter, watch a video on Instagram to know that the church hasn't always left a good legacy behind. The church is full of abuses of power, of manipulation, of racism, of judgment, hypocrisy. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think even though we have this desire to leave a legacy, there's also a part of us that's afraid of it. We fear being known for the wrong thing. We fear that somehow, even though we know we've been called to leave a legacy of faith, we're not enough. We don't have the right things in our hands. We don't have the right skills, the character, the knowledge to complete this task that God has given us. And we're afraid that maybe we'll just mess this whole thing up. So we feel the need for a blueprint, a map, something that can tell us what this should look like, but maybe we feel like we don't have it. Some of us don't have it because, you know, maybe we're the first believer in our family. And so we don't have a family who passed down faith to us. We are forging this path for the first time for ourselves. Or maybe you did come from a Christian home, but your parents maybe didn't directly teach you the things of God, or maybe you didn't go to church very often, or the people there, no one discipled or mentored you and taught you the things that you feel like you're supposed to teach your kids. And so while you have faith, you don't really know what you're supposed to teach to the next generation because it wasn't taught to you. Or maybe your parents did teach you, but they also were a bit hypocritical and taught you a lot of things that you don't want to do. And so while you have a couple tools in your tool belt to build this legacy, you also have a long list of things you don't want to do instead of things that you do want to do. There are others of you here who maybe know that you're supposed to leave a legacy of faith for the next generation, but you don't feel like you have a whole lot to offer because your faith is struggling. You don't know what good things to pass down because you don't feel like there's a whole lot of good in your life right now. And so even if you had a blueprint, you don't feel like you have the right materials. And lastly, maybe you're listening and you are the next generation. You're Gen Z, you're between the ages of 10 and 25, and within you, you have this longing to build into someone else, or to have someone else build into you, to learn and to grow in your faith. But along with that, there's also a little bit of mistrust. Because as I said, my generation, the older generation, we're a mess. We're not perfect, we're hypocritical. And the church is full of some misconduct. And if we're, you know, really honest with ourselves as adults, even though we like to think we remember what it was like to be a teenager, we really don't. Even if you have like pretty vivid memories of what it was like when you were, you know, 15, 16 years old, the reality is, is that youth today face challenges that most of us never had to face. They have a lot of different things to deal with that we never had to. And there's a lot of technology out there that we don't even know about. And so with all of these fears and these hurdles, what's the way forward for us? How do we build a legacy of faith in the next generation? Well, I promise you we're going to get into some tangibles. If you're anything like me, you're just like, tell me what to do. Give me the list and I'll do it, you know? Give me the blueprint. I got you. I promise those are coming. But first, I feel like what we need is just a little bit of perspective. And for me, when I look at all those fears, all those things that are hurdles to like building into the next generation, finding this blueprint, it can be a bit discouraging. And so perspective is something that would be helpful. And for me, I always gain perspective when I look at the Word of God. 
So I want us to take a minute and just pause and listen as we hear God's word read for us. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God, and would not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. So what we have here in this psalm is a blueprint. It's the blueprint we've been looking for. But it's also a warning. It not only tells us what to do and what will happen if we do that, but also what will happen if we don't. If we do not build into the next generation and build a legacy of faith, they will be just like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, it says, whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to him. Now, obviously, this passage is written to a generation of Israelites, not us in the modern church, but I think that we can definitely place ourselves within this story. We are all like the Israelites, and the challenges they faced thousands of years ago are very similar to some of the challenges that we are facing today, the challenge to trust God, to believe him, to remember what he's done. Personally, I read this passage, and I was shook, if you don't know. That's slang for shocked. <laughs> I mean, for anyone who is over the age of 25, this passage should concern us. It should get our hearts pumping a little bit. There's some urgency here because the way I read it, the psalmist is saying that the onus is on us to build into the next generation. We are the ones who need to do it. And I mean, of course, kids and youth are responsible for the growth of their own faith and development as well. But really what this passage is saying is that the faith of the next generation stands on the shoulders of this generation. That's what's legacy. That is what we are to pass down. And so if we don't invest in the next generation, if we don't take this seriously, then we're setting up our kids to not only struggle with faith, but also to live in a world that is void of the hope, love, joy, the power, the wonder of Jesus Christ and the community that follows him. So friends, this is of utmost importance. So let's walk through this passage together and explore what is the blueprint we have here for how we can invest in the next generation. Psalm 78, it starts off with a call to a community. My people, the psalmist writes, once again, if you're here and you're not a parent or a grandparent or a youth leader, it doesn't mean that you're off the hook from investing in the next generation. The call here is upon the entire community of God. And he calls his people to do three things. To listen, to remember, and to tell. 
So we're going to talk about each of these things in turn. The first one is listen. When the psalmist is calling the people to listen, he's calling them to listen to the teachings of God and the words from his mouth. That means that we need to be people who both know and obey God's word. And in order to know what God's word is, we need to read it. We need to be people of the book. So how can we expect to cultivate a faith? in the next generation, if we ourselves are not rooted in the word and the story of God. Some of you out there, and I say this with love, know more about hockey stats or the latest fashion trends than you know about the word of God. It's not how it should be. If we really want our youth to be people who know and love God and know and love God's word, then we need to be that too. We need to spend time reading it. And I'm not just talking about, you know, like being a biblical scholar or you don't need to be the next dictionary concordance at the Bible school's library, but are we practicing daily interaction with God's word? Are we going to home groups? Are we maybe watching Bible project videos? Whatever it might be for you. But are we doing things that will get us into the word regularly? Because we can only obey what we have heard. And part of how we hear from God is through his word. Another way that we can hear and listen to God is through prayer. We will ask God things and see if he responds. As we become familiar with how God speaks in the word, in the Bible, we will become familiar with how he speaks to us personally through prayer. We'll start to recognize his voice. We'll begin to develop a sense for his direction, you know? What is he calling me to do in a specific situation? How do I make a God-honoring decision? Do I know if I'm supposed to, you know, volunteer at day camp or in the kids' ministry or with the youth? What is God really calling me to do? How do I know when someone's sitting next to me what I should say to them at church? Maybe we could pray and ask God, do you have a word for this person that I could share with them? Is there a Bible verse you want to bring to mind that might encourage them? This is what it means to listen to God. And we'll be able to reframe our experiences and the experiences of our youth within the larger story of God as we know and understand it more deeply. This is all part of what it means to listen to God. The psalmist also mentions that there are things that God will utter to us, like these mysterious things. He'll speak in parables. They are things that we have heard and we have known from our ancestors. So God doesn't just speak to you and I personally through his word or through prayer, but also through his community. There's a whole group of people around us who we can listen to wisdom from, draw encouragement from, listen together with. It's not just so much about what do I say or what do I think, but what does the community of God say about this too? To pass down faith, we first need to be a people who recognize, listen to, and heed the voice of God. And then we're called to remember. The psalmist urges the people of God to pass down the things they have learned to the next generation. And he talks about a few specific things that we're supposed to tell them about. He says, I want you to tell them about the praiseworthy deeds of God, about God's power and his wonders, about his statutes and the law he has established to guard his people. So in order to do that, we first have to remember what those things are. The encouragement to remember is littered throughout all of scripture. And I'm not just talking like a little sprinkling. I'm talking about a total like trash can of litter is dumped on scripture, encouraging the people of God to remember who he is and what he's done. Here are a few quick examples for you. In Deuteronomy 6, 
God tells us that take care lest you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and slavery. In Deuteronomy 8, he says, you should remember the whole way the Lord your God has brought you out of slavery. In Isaiah 46, he says, remember the former things of old. And he tells them, I'm God. There is no other. There is none like me. Psalm 77, he says, um, the psalmist says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. In Acts 20, he says, in all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. And God, Jesus himself in John 14 says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The list in the scriptures goes on and on and on. That's only a few. Their encouragement is here to remember. Because friends, we cannot forget the things that God has done. Coming back again to the reading and study of scripture, this is one of the ways that we can remember. Being familiar with the story of God familiarizes us with the character of God. And we can pretty much count on that what God has done for his people in the past is a pretty good indicator of what he will do in the future. What he did then is what he does now because God is the same. He's constant. And so we can remember who God is and the wonders he has done, first and foremost, by reading scripture, but then also by remembering what he's done personally for us in our own lives, years ago, weeks ago, even yesterday. What I truly desire to give you today is not just a blueprint for how to invest in the next generation, but also a blueprint for yourself of the work of God in your midst. I desire to give you a blueprint that shows you the designs of God in your life. A blueprint of what already exists for you. What you already have in your hands, in your lives, and in your homes. A blueprint of the designs of God on your life. Because that, my friends, is what God is calling his people to do. That is what we have to share. And I think sometimes we actually forget what God has done for us. That's actually what, what happened with the Israelites. They were grumbling, complaining. They became a stubborn and stiff-necked generation who were not loyal to him because they forgot that he freed them from slavery, that he called them and brought them out of the land of Egypt, that he gave them, brought them into the promised land, that he actually drove out other nations before them that he provided food for them in the wilderness, shoes that didn't wear out, clothes that moss did not eat. He did all these wonders. He parted the Red Sea, like all these wonders he did for them. And then when they were secure in the promised land and opposition came up, they forgot and things kind of fell apart. And that's where this Psalm comes out of. It's in the middle of a time when the community of God was kind of lost. And it's because they forgot the things of God. Our faithfulness and trust in God isn't based in how we feel about him. It's based in remembering God's mighty saving, God's mighty saving acts. And so I have a few questions for you that might help you just stir up right now a couple ideas of how God has been at work in your life. What do you need to remember? Here they are. What have you learned from those who came before you? Like, are there stories of God's goodness that you've heard about? What stories of God's goodness and faithfulness have you personally experienced in your own life? You can think from when you were a kid to now. There's probably dozens, if not hundreds, probably stories of how God has come through for you. What prayers have you prayed that you've seen an answer to? 
What provision has God given to you or your family, whether it's physical provision? And then finally, what personal transformation has come about in your life as a direct result of following Jesus? These are just a few questions that can help us remember what God has done in our lives, in our midst. And remembering is so vital to building a legacy because it gives us the stories and the faith that we are meant to pass down, which brings us to our last part of the blueprint, which is tell. The psalmist urges the people of God not to hide these things from the next generation, but to tell them about the praiseworthy deeds of God, his power, his wonders, his law. Is, isn't enough for us just to listen and remember ourselves without telling people what we've listened to, what we've heard, and what we've remembered. And all of this is meant to be shared with the next generation in the context of a relationship. Some of you might wonder like, okay, yeah, I I love this idea, you know, like of being God's word, learning more about him, being inspired by the stories, the things that he's done in my life. But like the telling the next generation part, that's a little scary to me, you know? What if I, how do I know they want to hear from me? Like, are you sure, Kate, that they actually want to know what God's been doing in my life? And I can't guarantee you every individual youth is going to be like, yeah, I want to know, but I'm pretty sure most of them do. But when we share these things, it's got to be done in the context of relationship. A good friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Emily Crow, she's actually speaking next week in this series, shared with me a beautiful picture of what this means. She gave me a picture of something, of a hammock actually. And she said, you know, every interaction you have with people is like a rope in the hammock. It's a rope that is building this hammock, weaving it together. And eventually every interaction will so build this hammock that it will become strong enough to handle the weight of weightier uh, conversations. So it starts off with simple conversations, you know, things like, hey, how are you? (laughs) What's your week been like? You know, tell me about the sports team you've been a part of or what's your favorite part about school lately? How are your exams going? You know, are you working lately? You know, do you have any fun coworkers or something funny that happened at work this week? Like just simple, everyday, surface level stuff. But every single one of these interactions is a thread that builds into this hammock and weaves a a hammock of trust, really. And then once you have had more and more of these interactions, now your hammock, your relational hammock, can handle the weight of the deeper conversations, of the God conversations. And so... Yeah, maybe you don't jump in like right away and share all the God stories, but you got to invest in them a little bit first. But you don't also have to be their best friend in order to influence them and invest in them. You know, I think more than anything, what they desire, what our youth desire from us is a friendly face who won't judge them, who will love and accept them for who they are and just make an effort to get to know them, who will notice them. And if you're really worried, you can also just help to ask them for permission, you know, hey, could I tell you a story of what God's been doing in my life lately? Um, could I share with you a prayer request I've had that God answered? It's a really cool story. You know, most of them will probably just be polite, even if they don't want to hear it and say yes. But um, even if they, or even if they don't, sorry. Most of our youth, even if they really don't want to hear from you, would probably say yes, just because they're polite. But either way, you're honoring them just by asking. You're honoring that, you're saying, hey, I have something I want to share with you. Would you be open to listen? And youth younger, younger generations, I also want to 
exhort or like talk to you a little bit because even though there is this onus on the older generation to teach you, the scriptures also talk about you asking us. In Deuteronomy 32, the writer says this. He says, remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. So youth, it's not just our job to tell, it's also your job to ask. If you are curious, if you want to grow in your faith, show that. Ask people if they have stories. Ask them to share their testimony with you. Maybe even make this a little tool in your toolkit and just like, hey, what's God doing in your life lately? That's the perfect question to ask someone in our church family to get them to share. And I know we're not perfect, but I think we do have a ton of experiences um, and amazing stories of God that we could share with you. So maybe let God surprise you with some of the amazing things that you could hear. Now, when it comes to intergenerational relationships, I know there's like this one big fear and the fear is what if it's awkward? And I'm going to tell you this. Let me be honest with you. The teen years, they're just awkward. I was super awkward as a teen, but like for most of us who are adults, we've just pushed this out of our memory. Like we don't want to remember how awkward we were because it's a bit painful, but we were, okay? And so even if you are an adult, you not every adult's that socially apt either, you know? Like I struggle sometimes to know what to say in certain situations or how to start up a conversation. It doesn't matter what age people are. There's always a bit of awkwardness when we're building relationships. So my encouragement to you is this, embrace the awkward. Because awkward doesn't have to mean that it's a bad or a negative thing. It's just awkward. But if you don't have to be awkward about it, that is not so awkward. Um, So embrace the awkward because I promise you, if there's an awkward feeling, it probably has nothing to do with you, okay? We all just feel it. Um, you also might ask the last question might be, okay, yeah, like I want to share, but I'm not really cool. Like, do the youth really want to hear what I have to say? (laughs) You know, I don't know about that. And I decided to ask them for themselves, you know, what are some of the things that you value about the people who have built into your life? Some of our youth leaders right now, what makes them someone that you want to listen to? Uh, what do you appreciate about them? And these are some of the things that they said. It's really cool. One of them said, I greatly value the time that the youth leaders have invested to help and go alongside me. I have felt their generosity and effort to make youth a safe place where I'm loved and accepted. Another youth said, they make everyone feel so valued and important. Their honesty and genuineness is infectious. They make it easy to be ourselves and they care about our lives and how we're doing. In general, I love how much time they give to the youth and how present they are with us. And then another youth said, what I value most in my leaders is their open minds and willingness to help. Even though they're from different generations and usually grew up very differently than we did, our modern problems are never diminished and we're always given the space to express ourselves without feeling patronized. You can tell they make an effort to see our point of view, and it's nice to feel that someone is really invested in helping us out. Like, I didn't tell them to say that. I just said, hey, what do you like about your youth leaders? And this is what they said. This is beautiful. And you know what I don't see in any of those quotes? I don't see a need to be cool. I don't even in seeing see that they say, oh, I appreciate that my youth leaders have all the answers to my questions. 
No, what they appreciate and what resonates with them is people who are just open to get to know them, who are there for them, who listen to them and support them. No coolness needed. And I'll be honest, the youth of our church make our job as youth leaders or my job as a youth pastor pretty easy. They're polite. They're not difficult to love. They're not difficult to listen to. And for the most part, they're not even awkward. They give me a lot of hope for the future. And I really hope that today some of you will also be inspired to build into this next generation and build a legacy of faith in our church. So in summary, we listen We remember, we tell, and this is what builds a legacy of trust, a legacy of faith. And the psalmist seems pretty confident about this, you know? I don't think it's like a, you know, 30-day money-back guarantee. If you do this, this will happen. But he seems very confident that when we listen to God, when we remember the things he's done and we share them with those in the next generation, what comes out is the people who trust in him whose hearts are faith loyal to him, whose spirits are faithful to him. And for me, that's definitely the type of legacy that I'm invested in building. And I hope you are too. All right, now let's get to those tangibles. We know that we're supposed to listen, to remember, to tell, but how exactly do we do that? So I'm going to give you a couple of things that you could apply this week to help build into the next generation. The first one is obviously you can listen. Start a habit of regularly reading your Bible. Get in the Word. The YouVersion app is an awesome place to go. The Bible Project has amazing plans on there in Old and New Testament, even with videos. Our church even does daily reflections and readings that you can follow along with. Make sure that you are a person of the book. Another way you can listen is we like to listen in prayer. There's a group of us that gathers once a month on a Monday night for an hour and a half, and we just listen to God together. We listen in community, and you're welcome to come join us no matter your age. You can email me if you want the info. Number two, you can remember. Start a blessing jar in your home or even a prayer journal. Record the things that you're asking for. Record the things that God has done so that you can then tell others about them. Make sure you're having a way that you will remember and not forget. And then third, you can tell. I really want to encourage you to share your stories of faith with the next generation. You can do this um, with our youth group. And there's three ways that you could, actually four ways that you could do this. One, you could just write me an email and write a God story, and then I will share it with our youth. You could come into the office and actually film your testimony or a God story, and we could show it to the youth via video on a Friday night. Or you could come in yourself live and share with them in a large group or small group setting. Lastly, you could become a youth leader, become someone who is investing in this next generation week in and week out on a Friday night. These youth leaders have ample opportunities to share the stories of what God is doing in their lives with the youth and also be blessed by the youth sharing their stories of what God is doing in them. We have some really amazing youth leaders, but we always need more. The more people investing in this generation through youth leadership, the better. And then lastly, If you don't feel like you have a heart for this generation, I really want to encourage you to pray and ask God to give you one. Because legacy won't just form by itself. We need people to be intentional about it. It takes intentional acts of listening, remembering, and telling for this to happen. And if it's not going to be you, then who is it going to be? 
Who is going to build God's legacy in the next generation? This isn't just the task of the few. It is the job of the many. We are called to build a legacy of faith. It really, truly does start with you and with me.